Good day to you, and welcome to the podcast for the Union Street Meeting House. In this podcast, we will be sharing messages from our weekly worship services. Union Street Meeting House is a Christian ministry that introduces people of all ages to Jesus Christ and recalls those who once knew Him back into an intimate, vibrant, living relationship with Him. We are a house for Christian fellowship and personal growth. You are always welcome here at Union Street Meeting House. Let's go into this week's message right now. Today's message, entitled Opportunities Will Find You, was originally recorded on November 21st, 2021 by Tim Parker. I think he doesn't care, but you know, his first miracle... It wasn't even his time, he said, but you know what? His mama said, I need you to go in there and fix this because they've got a problem. And Jesus goes in and turns the water to wine. He cares about our little things. He cares about that. That's not an earth-shattering event that saved a thousand people or a million people across the world or anything, but that's how Jesus is. That's how God is. He wants to bless his children. Amen? So we're glad you're blessed this morning. We got the kids and got them dismissed. And... um, We'll move on this morning, but uh, it, it is good. We are grateful for Thanksgiving, you know, but that's just, that's just one day. The Christian's Thanksgiving is every single day. Somebody say amen. So moving right in this morning, uh, this past week, uh, last week, I had the privilege of speaking at Crossroad Community Church uh, at their 5 and 10 services on Tuesdays, and I shared this last night, the... Um, uh, they, they started about four years ago, I believe, a service over there on Tuesday mornings from 5 to 10, and they invite different pastors to come. And so this was their last one of this year, just in case you're wondering. They won't start up again until after the first of the year. But if you're ever in the middle of the week and you need, you need to hear from God in, in a different way and you want to get away for a little bit, Crossroad Church has a great program over there. It's a midweek service. Um, they ask visiting pastors to come over and share their story. Pastor Rick and Pastor Eli do a wonderful job of encouraging unity around this county for the churches. And their Tuesday service is the, one of the ways that they get that accomplished. And it was a blessing to me, and I was grateful to be asked over. Probably the greatest part for me was there was about eight pastors there, and Pastor Eli asked them all to come up and pray and bless me, and, and that was a, a wonderful time. So God is good. He is working. And sometimes we don't see that and we have to stay encouraged because, listen, if you watch the news, you're not going to be encouraged. In fact, they go out of their way to find bad news. Do you agree? All right. Open your Bibles this morning to Luke 10. I want to share a few more stories with you this week. We're going to be in Luke 10. Luke 10, and we're going to start in uh, verse 25 and read through uh, 37. So Luke 10, 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, and how does it read to you? And that's an important question in my mind, because how does it read to you? We talked about that the Holy Spirit is the author and the interpreter for us. And sometimes as men or women, we may read it and we may hear it or see something that we think is there that may or may not be there. We have to be cautious. We have to bring everything subject to God 
and what he's really truly saying. And many of you know, you may read a scripture 20 times, and then the 21st time it spoke to you. And so he's saying, well, how does it read to you? And so Jesus is trying to get in his mind. And he answered in 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, the lawyer said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the robbers. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. We talk about this every week. Most of us in here are saved folk, and you've heard the scriptures before. We're going to review them and ask the Lord to speak to us in a fresh and a new way as he is capable of doing. In verse 30, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and he took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? In 37, the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Let's bow our heads and pray this morning. God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your teaching. Lord God, there is much for us to learn. God, we uh, go through our weeks. Sometimes the, they clip by so quickly, Lord God, that we wake up and again it's Sunday. And so, Lord, we're here in your house this morning and we pray, Lord God, that you speak to our hearts. Lord, we pray that you give us a fresh word today, that you give us something to hold on to, Lord God, something even to look into after we leave, Lord God, something that will stir our hearts to be closer to you, to know you more, God, to serve you better. And so, Lord, I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth today would be pleasing to you, that the hearers would hear and understand what it is that you're trying to say to them. And so, God, bless this time that we have. Bless this community, Lord. Be with this town of Milton and this county of Sussex, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen, amen. So last week I shared three stories from the Bible that were in Mark that demonstrated that uh, when Jesus was on his journey, he was presented with opportunities. Uh, one was the rich young ruler. Uh, one was the leprous man with a, with a leprous hand. And the last one was the demoniac that he cast the, the evil spirits out into the swine. And we talked about that, that Jesus was on his journey. He, he didn't set out for those things that we know of. We believe that he is just going to do what God has called him to do. And he is going to begin his ministry. And as he's going on this ministry, opportunities seem to be coming to him. This week I plan to move on. But I believe God wants me to continue sharing about 
our appointments and our opportunities, if you may. Last week, we saw that when Jesus was on his journey, that he didn't have to go and chase down those opportunities. Just simply by being in the will of God and being the light of the world, opportunities would find him, even in some cases, run to him. And we talked about that's our role and that's a model for us as Christians. If we're walking in the will of the Lord and we're on our journey doing our normal day-to-day things, but if we have the light of Christ in us, people will be drawn to that, sometimes for not the greatest reasons in the world, but that they need healing or they need deliverance or they need an encouraging word or they need help in the physical sense. And so that's our role. Jesus is our model. He is just doing what he is doing. But he is the light, and the light is in him, and people are drawn to that light. Now, in this story, in Luke, uh, after receiving a good report from his disciples, and so if we back up a little bit, in verse 17, it talked about the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus begins to, begins to encourage them, and they're in the middle of a joyous time, by the way, when the lawyer speaks up and says these things, uh, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't actually know if he's trying to trip Jesus up or whether he's just hard-headed and asking a question. We're not sure about that. But what we do know is that many times when we have a celebration in our life and things are good and things are going well, there seems to be something always around the corner that wants us to to distract us from the ministry of that goodness. And so we see uh, at this point, maybe he's trying to trap him. There's kind of a belief he is because this is the patterns of the Pharisees. So let's look at it again, starting in chapter 10, verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And so now we run into that same thing today. Who is our neighbor? Who is this person that we're supposed to love as ourself? Well, we know the answer. It's everyone. And something in me tells me that this lawyer knew that as well. But he still wanted to challenge Jesus on the thought. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. And then he says, who is my neighbor? And so as we break down this uh, story, um, let's, let's talk about Let's talk about a little bit about this whole journey that this fellow was on, this Samaritan. First, it says a a man was going down from Jerusalem. I'm I'm in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, I love Jesus's stories and I love his parables because I personally believe, and this is Tim, I, not the Lord, okay? But I personally believe that God is so deep that when he speaks, there's just layer after layer of goodness that you can find. Sometimes he's speaking and it's a frank word that you get out of the scripture. Sometimes you have to dig for it like jewels, and sometimes you'll find layer and layer and layer of jewel and meaning. It never 
let me get this, let me, let me say this correctly. It never strays from its truth, but there's always layers to it. And when we read God's word, we need to be thinking about that as we're reading his word. We talk about that. Lord, what are you saying here? Why did you feel the need to put this scripture in, God? What are you speaking to me about, to us about? And it says here, they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by the other side. And so Jesus is dealing with something here. He's talking about the story of who is a neighbor. But he's beginning to lay it on the Pharisees again. He's saying two church folks went by him. Two of you Pharisees, a priest and a Levite, both worked in the temple. It indicates that maybe they were even done with their work from the church or from the temple, and they were on their way home, and here was an opportunity, and they missed it. And so Jesus takes this time here not just to say who a neighbor is, but he gets you to evaluate who are you? Who are you that's asked this question? Where do you fit into this story, into every story of the Word of God? And it says, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. And we all know the Samaritan. We know the story of the woman at the well. They're the, they're the, they're the hated race. There's a lot of hate in our country right now. And a lot of it's over race. It's so sad because it's ridiculous, but it's the heart of man, especially without God. But the Samaritan who was hated was on a journey. And he came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Do you remember when Jesus last week in the story of the leper, it said he felt compassion for him. Something missing in our culture today. We've lost this ability to have compassion today. We are a disposable nation and we want to throw everything away. Plastic, paper, whatever. But it's disposable and we begin to live our lives like that if we aren't careful. We know that. We know that generations gone by who may have lived through the Great Depression, they weren't a disposable nation. Boy, they kept a mason jar for years and reused it and reused it and reused it. Today, we're using a plastic cup and we're tossing it away. And we say, well, what effect does that have on us? I'm not sure, but our psyche gets into a mindset that we don't need things. And then we get a hardened heart. And we get a hardened heart, the compassion begins to leave our heart. And when compassion is gone from your heart, you can't help anyone. And it said back in, in Mark that Jesus saw the leprous man and felt compassion for him. Remember, he reached out and touched him. If you remember, we talked about that last week. And now Jesus is telling a story about a Samaritan who's supposedly the hated ones. Who was on a journey. He was, he was on his way somewhere. He was the same as Jesus. He was, doing, he was doing something. He was about his business. He wasn't really out looking for someone to rescue on the side of the highway. He was just going on his journey. And he came upon him and when he saw him he felt compassion. And he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds. Pouring oil and wine on them. And he put them on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
In other words, he took out of his own and began to give to someone else. This costs money to spend oil. Costs money to take the time to get away from what he was doing. Perhaps he was on a business journey. Perhaps he was going to miss a great sales deal because he was getting ready to go sell a house and he didn't want anyone to distract him from that work on his way. Who knows? But he's willing to give up the cost. Jesus shares this. He puts him on his own beast. He takes second position, puts the man on the beast, and then he carries him to an inn. And it says he took care of him. He didn't drop him off at the hospital and just leave. He took care of him. And so Jesus uses this parable to say a lot of things, not just who the neighbor is, but how we're to really love and treat our neighbors. 35, on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. How about that? Took out of his own pocket. And he gave to someone in need. Now, I personally believe it was his privilege to give. That's something he was compelled to, that Jesus was sharing this story. And we don't know that it's real, but we know that it's real, if you know what I'm saying. Jesus shares this story to show an example of how we're to live. And he says, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Why did he feel the need to do this? Simple. It said so. He felt compassion. He had love in his heart. Turn with me now to Acts chapter 28. Let's share another story with you. Acts chapter 28. And let me set the stage for you on this story. So, so Paul has been in prison for two years. Say two years. Okay, still awake. That's good. Um, two years he's been in prison. Some of you get upset when you wait 20 minutes at a restaurant. True. After being in prison for two years waiting for passage to be sent to Rome for trial. He's been in prison for two years. And, and listen, if you want to read an exciting story to your children, the shipwreck of Paul found in uh, 27, starting in 14, is a great story. I, I don't know today why they haven't made some kind of great movie about this story of Paul. In my mind, that's how I see it, by the way. When I start to read these stories, I just kind of see it in movie form. I'm a very visual learner, so I have to see it like that. And this shipwreck is just incredible. It's incredible what happens. If you don't know the story, that's your homework. Go back and read that. Don't read it now. Go back and read that. You'll love it. God is good. God is so good. So after being in prison for two years, waiting to be sent to Rome, he's shipwrecked. And he finally lands safe at Malta. And that's where I want to start this morning. Acts 28.1. And we're going to just read 1 through 10. And it says, when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain they had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, 
a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But, but after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happening to him, they changed their minds and then they began to say he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously, courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him after he had prayed, and he laid his hands on him and he healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. And they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. And what does Paul do? He's on a journey. He doesn't have time to be shipwrecked. He's already been in prison for two years. He doesn't have time to, to be somewhere and fall on his face. Can you imagine if that happens to us today with all of our creature comforts? All the things that we have. We get upset when we're in traffic. We're upset when the traffic stops because there's an accident ahead of us. And we begin to, listen, uh, maybe that's just me. I'm sure none of you do it, but some people begin to grumble and say, why can't I get going? In reality, someone's hurt or maybe worse and our heart's not in the right place. Paul's been shipwrecked. He's been in prison. He's been shipwrecked. Of course, he's been beaten countless of times. And now he gets bit by a viper. Are you serious? Like, like wouldn't you kind of be saying, God, what are you doing to me? Like, what is this all about? But amazingly, what's he do? He just, he just keeps on trucking. He doesn't let him bother him. In fact, he shook the creature off is what it said. How many of you know in your life you need to shake some creatures off? Some of you let the old Satan viper get a hold of you in some areas of your life and you're letting him latch onto your arm and you're not shaking him off. True? It's true. We need to shake that serpent off. He has no part of us. We're children of God. Somebody say amen. He's bit by a viper. I, I mean, for me, that'd be like, that's it, Lord, I quit. I'd be out the door, gone. But not Paul. He shook the creature off. And then we see what God begins to do with this situation. And we see this time and time and time and time again about people of faith. It didn't say that Paul wasn't shipwrecked. It didn't say he never got bit by a viper. It said these things happened to him. But in that, he began to receive the blessings of the Lord. His faithfulness sees him through the situation. The, the, the opportunities that are coming, the appointments that we have, we have no clue about. But we have a God who is faithful to deliver us through them. And so what's he do? He's welcomed by the leading man of the island. And we talked about that. We talked about that in the Nehemiah story where God puts you in places where you can make a difference. And sometimes we don't see it. 
And my job here is, to, is hopefully to exhort and encourage you to wake up and see your circumstance for what God sees it as and not what for you see it as and where you might be right now and making a difference. And God may have put someone in your life right now that is, is about to be used greatly and because of your work, you can make a difference in that person. And then it says he heals the leader's father. And then we see all the good stuff begin to happen. See, with God, and I'll say this time and time again, nothing is wasted. Have you been shipwrecked? Have you been attacked by the serpent? Praise God, because with God, nothing is wasted. God's not worried about what you've been through in your past. He loves you no matter. He's going to use that if you'll let him. He'll use it in a way that you could never dream of if you let him. The circumstances, maybe some near-life uh, experiences, near-death experiences for you, whatever it might be. For me, an auto accident that I came out unscathed. God is there. He's the protector. Does it always work that way? No. Do I understand why? Absolutely not. But I know when it does, I know what he expects of us. He wants to use that circumstance in our past. Some of us try to bury it so much that we think it's gone away and the reality of all we've done is cover it up. And the Lord wants to reveal it to light and say, no, I will use this. Nothing is wasted. And we see being shipwrecked and being bitten by a viper wasn't wasted. And he gets on the island and he does what he's doing. He's on his journey and he is on his way to Rome. But you know what? There's people here. Let's look at this verse right here. And it happened, verse 8, and it happened when... The father of Publius was laying, lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. It says, Paul went and got his gloves and mask and needles, and he jumped in there and he said, I'll take care of you. No, he did it. Not that those things aren't important. Please don't get the wrong message. But I'll tell you something. There's a power in God that no mask can ever do. And with the recurrent fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him, and he healed him. Paul had no fear. He had courage. We talked about that last night here, that God gives us courage. It's not that we're not afraid. It's just that courage defeats fear. And our courage just isn't on some base, faithless base that of nothing. Our courage is on the faith of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and rose again for us. Nothing is wasted. Let me jump to one more story this morning. It's another familiar one. Turn to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. I, I, love this, I love these stories. I love this one as well. 1 Samuel 17, we'll start in verse 13. And we'll read 13 to 30. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second of him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. The, Philistines came for, the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David his son, Take now for you... For your brothers, an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to your brothers. So he's got about a quart of roasted grain and ten loaves of bread, and he's taking them to his brothers. David's on a journey. 
Are you hearing me? He's about the business of whatever his father has just told him to do. Are you hearing me? Verse 18, bring also ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news from them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Verse 20, so David arose early in the morning and left the flock and with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Verse 21, Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array against army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was, taking, as he was talking with him, behold, the champion... The Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, what will be done for this man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him according with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. Verse 29. But David said, what have I done now? Was this not just a question? I like the New King James Version there. It says, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Verse 30. Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing, and the people answered the same as before. Now jump down to 37. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, What? Go, and may the Lord be with you. Jump to verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and spear and a javelin, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear but the battle is the Lord's and he will give you unto our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into the bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. And he struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in David's hand. I'm going to keep reading. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his word and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley into the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistine lay along the way to Shaharim, even Gath and Ekron. 
The Lord is good. The Lord is a deliverer. David is on his way just to bring supplies. He didn't set out that day to be slaying a giant. In our mornings when we rise, we're set out on a journey. We're not necessarily setting ourselves up to go slay a giant. But he's doing his job. He's on a journey. He's taking supplies back and forth. He is not even there to fight, but God presents an opportunity. What does David do with his opportunity? Well, one of the things we know that we read in this story that David called on his experience to handle the present opportunity. If you remember back in verse 37, he tells Saul, I have slain a lion and a bear and I am not afraid of some slobbermouth giant. How about you? Have you been through some stuff in your past? Have you been through stuff that maybe you can say that I have done that? It was a very difficult thing, but God brought me through. God delivered me our first home. And then we're paying it off this fast? doesn't matter what it is, but our past, he uses it. Have you beat a drug addiction? Have you beat an alcohol addiction? Have you beat an anger addiction? Has God changed your life in some way and you fought a serious battle in your life? Maybe divorce, maybe death of, of a special person, whatever it is, and God has saw you through? And that's what he requires us to do, to remember what he has brought us through. And I'll ask this question. Have you forgotten about your testimony? Have you forgotten about your previous battles? David didn't forget. He didn't forget he was anointed. Have you forgotten you're anointed? You're the church. You're a child of the living God. Do you forget that sometimes? Do you forget how much power God has given you through the Holy Spirit? Do you forget and sometimes think that you're just mere human? You're not. You're eternal and you're bound for heaven if you've accepted Christ. And he has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we learned last week, he said, you'll do these things and more. And yet the church sits totally powerless today in a nation that's going to rotten because we won't rise up. A few weeks ago, I shared a story of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls. Remember when he was making progress that, that Sanballat and Tobias were trying to get him to stop and they were asking him to come out of the city and they planned to do him harm and stop the building of the wall? Look at verse 28 again. In verse 28, Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men that Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? And he's mocking him and making fun of him. And he says, I know your insolence and wickedness in your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. You just want to come down, little baby brother, and you just want to put your nose in our business. Go back home. I think I shared from here, my brothers, when uh, we're on the high school bus and I would ride the junior high bus and the junior high bus was about five minutes behind the high school bus and my brothers would, uh, would have their bus come and they would say, Timmy, go hide. They didn't want the, the high schoolers to see me. They were teasing, but they were making fun and they were mocking. And they would pick and I would pick back, trust me. I, uh, I cause more trouble than most, I'm thinking. But anyway, David's not afraid. David gets there and it's the same way. His big brother is picking on him. And he said, in fact, if you look at it, and David says, what have I done? Is this not a cause 
Shouldn't I be here too to help you out? How many of you know that sometimes you're going to pick a ministry and you're going to have somebody with what I call the spirit of Eliab in their life? They're going to tell you why you shouldn't do all the things that you're about to do. They're going to tell you why you shouldn't go where you're going to go and minister where you're going to minister or move where you're going to move. What? You're going to pick up your family and do what? What? You're going to quit a six-figure job and go work where? What? And they're just going to beat down and beat down and beat down. And Eliab's doing the same thing because this is his little brother and he can't imagine he would do anything good. And how many of you know in the church that's the way it is? You might be going to, with, to church with folks that you've been going with for years and you decide to step out and try to do something good. And believe it or not, people will come and they'll say, why are you doing this? What is that all about? But David doesn't take his eye off the mark. He doesn't miss his opportunity. He doesn't miss his appointment. He is anointed. He knows this. But he isn't just anointed in that sense. He doesn't even go and take uh, the daughter. He isn't there for the money. He isn't there for the prize. He is there because he knows that God has an appointment for him and he's going to see it through. And when he kills Goliath, he's doing the work of and for God. Nehemiah was distracted, David was distracted, Paul was distracted by a viper himself. There will almost always be opposition to us when we're doing the Lord's work. In fact, if there's not, you need to prepare yourself because it's probably going to be big when it does come. In fact, let's turn to the last scripture here, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. I, I was just going to read this to you, but I want you to read it if you have your Bibles. 1 Peter Mark it up myself. First Peter, I want to read 5, 5. It starts, it's, it's talking about a lot of things here, but it gets down to verse 5 is what I want to share with you this morning. You younger men likewise. Any younger men in here? You younger men likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Somebody say, Amen. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But resist him in your faith. So what am I saying? Let's look back at where we started in Luke 10. In verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. What I'm saying is this. We need to be sensitive to the opportunities that God is sending to us. Opportunities are significant in our life. Hear me clearly. The way we handle them determine much about how your future will unfold. Do not take this lightly. These appointments, these opportunities, these things that God is sending to us. Think about David. Think about Paul. 
Our response to our opportunities reveal the character of who we really are. Am I a coward? Am I afraid? Or do I have faith and do I have courage? Am I able to help? Should I help? We must also be aware that not every problem is an opportunity. We must discern. If you don't have the gift of discernment, you need to ask God for the gift of discernment. Most of you have it. Women tend to have it a lot more. They see and feel and hear things that guys don't even know about. I wish I could tell you all the things my wife said I shouldn't do and that I shouldn't have done. But we must discern, is this an opportunity or is it a distraction? Is this, is this Sanballat and Tobiah trying to get Nehemiah down from his work? Or is this God saying, come on. Even Jesus himself at times would get in the boat to get to the other side. Was there work there? Was there a problem? Absolutely. But he had to discern what was his opportunity. Is this what God wants me to do? Or is this an obstacle to the work he set me out to do? Ask God for help seeing things. We must be willing to give to others. The good Samaritan saw it as a privilege to help the man who was beaten and robbed. If God is going to allow or even bring opportunities into your life, then don't you think he can make the provision for that opportunity? Listen, if the good Samaritan looks at the guy and says, Man, I've got a journey. I'm running late. I want to help the guy, but if I do, I'm... I'm going to have to put him on my mule and he stinks and he's bloody and he's dirty and I'm going to have to take him to the inn which is two miles out of my way and I'm going to have to pay to keep him there and perhaps even pay more when I got back. Is this our story? Who are you in the story? Ask yourself that. But no, it's his privilege to say, no, I have compassion I will take care of him. And the moment he does, he has the resources for it. God makes the resources. This is something the church, I just think this is something the church misses all the time. If it's the work of the Lord, you don't have to worry about how it's going to get done. He is faithful. He will bring the provision to handle the opportunity. God will make a way for your opportunities. Nothing is wasted with God. So you have a past, we all do. Who doesn't? Get over it. God wants to use it. Jesus said, well, what do you have? Well, the disciples said, well, we, we know a little boy. He's got, he's got a, a fish or two, and he's got some loaves. I don't know, Jesus. We don't have much. Jesus said, bring it here. Let's get this thing done. Can you hear me, church? And I say to you, we serve an awesome God who can deliver us through any opportunity that we're given. And we want to make good on those opportunities and those appointments in our lives. He is a good God. He loves us. He is faithful. He will provide. And we will trust him. Amen. In the hands of Jesus, nothing is wasted. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the stories, Lord God, of countless times where your provision and your faithfulness has delivered your people, Lord God. And so, Lord, we walk in that faith and we walk in the knowledge, Lord God, that you love us and that we're your children. 
and that you died for us. And so, Lord, there's nothing bigger in our lives that we need to be concerned with. God, as you show us opportunities, let us not fall short. Let us not just be me and Jesus got our own thing going. Let us be about the world and the cares of the world and how we may rescue a hurt and dying world. God, give us the strength to see the things that you want us to see. Give us the power to put down those things that come against us. And Lord God, I pray today that you will help us with our opportunities. Lord, as we enter this Thanksgiving feast, as we call it, coming up on Thursday, Lord, may we always be mindful of those who don't have things. And Lord, may you put on our hearts those that we need to reach out to, to tell them that we're thinking of them. And Lord God, another thing, would you help us to have thanksgiving every day in our life, that we would be Christians who would have an attitude of gratitude and be grateful for every gift, for we know that it's from above. And so we praise you and give you all the glory. We look forward to moving out of here today. We look forward to it because we know that you are with us. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, bless you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And hope to see you guys next week. Wednesday night, we have prayer service. Saturday, we have the orchard. And then Sunday, we have our service here at 1030. So bless you and hug a neck before you go. Say hello to somebody. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. You know, we would love to invite you to come and visit us in person sometime if you're ever in our area. You can find us at 415 Union Street in Milton, Delaware, where we have prayer and worship services on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m., Bible study on Saturday evenings at 7 p.m., and a Sunday morning worship service at 10.30 a.m. We would love to minister to your children as well. We offer children's church during the adult service. Children are excused to go back to their classes right after the worship time. You can also find more information about us on the web at UnionStreetMeetingHouse.org or on Facebook at Union Street Meeting House. So we look forward to sharing the message with you next week. Hope you'll return to this podcast. Thank you so much and God bless you.